Hey listeners, Dr. Taryn Marie here from Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. If our podcast speaks to you, consider leaving us a warm review at the top of the page on Spotify or at the bottom of the page on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews and opinions mean a lot to us, and it allows us to reach more good folks just like you. All right, now on to the show. Welcome to Flourish or Fold, Stories of Resilience. I'm Dr. Taryn Marie, and on this series, we have the opportunity to hear from well-known people who tell their often surprising, lesser well-known stories of resilience. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Now I get to be on the other side of the of the interview. I love it. Yeah, yeah we're going to keep you busy here today, right? <laughs> that's true, that's good, that's good. So you recently published a book, The Five Practices of Highly Resilient People, which is really, um, and you mentioned the subtitle, it's here, Flourish or Fall, behind that. Um, the viewed at number three, Barnes & Noble, that's mm-hmm. huge. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, obviously, the topic of resilience resonates. What did you find out about that? Why, you know, how did you get interested in this topic? What was your mm, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. So, uh, one of the interesting things about writing a book is uh, the opportunity for reflection. And so my editor had asked me, so my editor worked with uh, Brene Brown when she published her book, Daring Greatly. And so we felt like she was really the right person to help us steward this book into becoming a reality. And she said, you know, one of the things that people are going to want to know is how you got interested in resilience. And so when I sat down to write that part, it came out very different than what I'd been saying. So I had been saying that in graduate school, I began working with uh, women that were uh, in the rural areas of Maryland. I was in graduate school at the University of Maryland. And so we were doing qualitative interviews with them on um, what it was like to be in a rural area. These were women that were struggling with um, financial solvency, with with food sustainability, with their families. And so we ended up writing an article on what were the factors that enhanced or detracted from their resilience. And from there, I went on and did a a fellowship that was funded uh, by the NIH, where I worked with people that had had traumatic brain injuries and spinal cord injuries, and what were the things that allowed people to restore their lives and, and rehabilitate. So some of you might be thinking, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the thread to, to HR and, and to developing people? And what I realized is I went through a number of challenges earlier on, a decade before. All of that happened when I was 14. So what I, what I realized at age 37 is I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And I had gone through all of my schooling and graduate schooling without any accommodations. So um, if you're walking through the airport, just a public service announcement, and you read wood fried pizza, you might be dyslexic. <laughs> because I'll walk by signs all the time and be like, oh, is that a new thing they're offering? You know, here, no, it's wood fired pizza. So not wood fried pizza. Um, and so that is, you know, a challenge that I faced uh, early on. I also experienced some trauma with a stalker 
talk about that in my in my TED talk. And I developed uh, two decades of PTSD as a result of that. And so I think so often the things that we do in our lives are often, um, you know, the the momentum is created by those early experiences. And so I very much at 14, not at 24, was already thinking about how do we as humans effectively face challenge? And I think that's really what resilience is. There's a lot of misnomers about um, what resilience is, what it means. The definition in the book is to be able to effectively face the inevitable moments of challenge, change, and complexity, or the three C's as I call them, and to move through those inevitable moments in our lives uh, being ultimately enhanced by those experiences, not diminished. And that's the full definition of what resilience means. And I've also uncovered um, something that's really important, and this is said early on in the book, that's really a foundation of resilience, which is that resilience is the essence of being human. Because the way that we've talked about resilience is as though it's something outside of ourselves, something we've got to go find, something we've got to harness, uncover. And what we realize is that this is actually inextricably tied to our humanity. And when we shift that script to move from resilience is something out here to resilience is something in here, that really changes the game. You know, first of all, it's very much related to how we think about developing people, how we think about coaching our, our senior people, right? It's not about developing something new necessarily. It's about finding to a greater degree the strengths and talents that already exist within us. Uh, there, there's a lot there. You know, um, one of my theories is that there are everyday heroes. There's a lot of people dealing with a lot of struggle on a daily basis. They don't have a big red S on their chest. They're definitely superheroes. And you explained some of your challenges and how you overcame them. So you spoke about resilience in your book. One of the ways to find something to people what it is not. You know, what did you find out when you were reflecting on this? What was untrue about it? Yeah, so that definition that I mentioned about resilience, I think is powerful with, you know, because what's written on the page, if you will, and what's as powerful is what's not there. And so what's not a part of that definition, and, and this is a myth of resilience, is so often we've made resilience synonymous with bouncing back, with going back to a prior state. And so Sylvia and Crystal and I were talking about this this morning. And you know, early on, you know, I'd have sort of people waiting for me at the corners of the stage when I would do a keynote. And you know, they'd, say, they'd sort of say, like, I think I demonstrated resilience. But um, so anyway, uh, I'm not the same person that, you know, that I was before. And, and so there was this, there's this belief, this, this widely held belief that in order to be resilient, we have to go back to a prior state. And you know, so my, my doctorate degree is in neuropsychology. And so what I get to bring into this conversation is you know, the ways that our body and brain works to help some of this make sense. And so you know, all of us here, I think, have probably read at least one article on, on neuroplasticity. And so if we think about neuroplasticity, our, our brain is constantly rewiring, you know, regenerating neurons, regrouping to be able to respond to what's happening in terms of our external experience. And so if, our, if every external experience that we have relative to neuroplasticity changes us fundamentally, changes us down to the cellular level, the neurological or neural level, 
why would we ever think that we would go back to the way we were before something happened? And so one of the myths that we get to debunk is this idea that rather than bouncing back, we bounce forward. We take the full complement of that experience, you know, whether we would have chosen it or not, and oftentimes it's not, and allow that to enhance us over time and then be formed into the next version of ourselves or the next version of our, of our leaders or how we're forming our people into what they're developing into and growing into. I like that approach better. It's constant evolution. So, spoiler alert, okay, we're going to jump in here. Um, so, why don't you read the book? Not part of your homework, but um, what, what are those five qualities, central qualities of the resilience model? Yeah, bless you. Um, so, you're welcome. So, wow, you're, you're in everything. <laughs> so, this is multitasking. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to my audience yeah, out here. Yeah. So, you know, the five practices of highly resilient people is it, the book's been out for 90 days. So you're on the, you know, the, the ground floor coming in, ground floor. Um, and, it, and it did debut as the number three book in the world on Barnes and Noble, which was super exciting. Um, thank you. Can't get tired of that. We were ahead of Arnold Schwarzenegger's memoir for like five minutes. <laughs> You know, but you know how Arnold is, you know, he was like, I'll be back. And then he skyrocketed ahead of us. But yeah, he was back. He was back. Yeah. So this is really based on, you know, two decades of me sitting down with people now interviewing hundreds of people and collecting thousands of pieces of data on how we effectively face challenges and asking people, you know, when you faced a challenge, what did you do that you felt created a, a productive or, or positive outcome? And then listening to those stories. And so as you know, qualitative research isn't about you know, us as the, as the researcher deciding for people what happened. It's about hearing it from their perspective and doing our best to understand you know, what that means for each person. And so having interviewed hundreds of people and collected thousands of pieces of data on this, the five practices emerged. Um, and so it's a very robust um, empirical framework. And so the five practices to give just a high level description, which I was so excited to bring into the world because I think every time we, we face these inevitable moments of challenge, change, and complexity, whether it's personally or professionally, there's some voice in our head or in the heads of our people that's saying, what am I going to do? You know, what's, what's the next step? And I thought, what if we knew what to do? What if in that moment there was some kind of a playbook or a roadmap that helped us in that moment of, of chaos and, and ambiguity? And so that is the five practices. And so the first practice, I write about this in the book, I was um, surprised by, and many people are surprised by, and also convicted by. Uh, and the first practice is vulnerability. And so vulnerability after resilience is, is maybe the next most misunderstood kind of word or concept. Um, because vulnerability, the way it came through, it's not transparency. It's not putting everything out there for everyone to see. What vulnerability is, 
is to the greatest extent possible allowing our inside self, our thoughts, feelings, and emotions to match the outside self that we share with the world. And in psychology, we call that congruence. And so vulnerability is important in moments of challenge for two reasons. One, if we're feeling some kind of way on the inside and then you know, expressing to people or covering that up and being something else on the outside, we're essentially running two human operating systems at the same time. And so when we run two operating systems on our computer or on a device, what happens? It crashes, it slows down. And so in that moment when we're facing a challenge, when we most need that sort of energetic and emotional capital, if we're not being vulnerable and the inside self is not matching the outside self, we're really expending a lot of energy to run two operating systems. And the second thing that happened with vulnerability is that people that were vulnerable to share what they were going through they actually received more support, more information, more knowledge, more guidance, because people could come around them in those moments and help them. You know, but the thing about vulnerability is it's, it's really hard. And so I started thinking, okay, well, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and you know, Brene says it's good, I mean, why not? And, and so I thought like, okay, so, so why aren't we all now like living our most fabulous vulnerable life? You know? And so what I uncovered is this thing called the vulnerability bias. And the vulnerability bias appears to be like an irrational fear. So every time we think about being vulnerable with someone, and by the way, vulnerability is the cornerstone of the precursor to authentic leadership, to empathetic leadership. You know, we're talking about AI and the importance of, of the human connection. We can't be authentic or empathetic as a person or as a leader without first tapping into something vulnerable that exists within us, right? The vulnerability bias is a, a voice in most people's heads that in that moment when we sort of step out to be seen and known to a greater degree, that voice says, no, <laughs> don't do that. That's a terrible idea, you know? And we're like, really? And the voice is like, yeah, you're not gonna wanna, mm -mm, you're not gonna wanna do that. And, and it goes on to sort of say, you know, if you're vulnerable, the three L's will occur. People won't like us. They won't love us and they might leave. And that's a powerful prohibition to not demonstrate a sense of vulnerability. And then on top of that, authenticity or empathy, which is tied to that. And so there's a process that we all get to go through as humans and as leaders and with our people to be able to unpack that vulnerability bias, to face that fear and to figure out how we step out in that vulnerability in a way that's in service you know, to our people and to our organization. Maybe that's maybe that's motivation for stepping out because you bring those service Yeah, actually, it can be. You're on that edge. I don't know if I want to do this, but you can't stand to help people, which is great. Right. Reason for doing it. Yeah, oftentimes the things that we can't do for ourselves, sometimes we can do for others. You know? Yeah. So one of the uh, things I love about this format is you know peer to peer education. You're going to learn from people at your table, from the stage, you know, from their experience. You know. And you've been around the world um, coaching individuals and companies on resilience and wellness, well-being. They're all tied together. Mm -hmm. What are some of the takeaways? I mean, we could talk a lot from you know, hours and hours of experience you have speaking to people around the world. What are some of the takeaways that we can share with the audience? Yeah, I think you know, so I think something that's really timely with this work on resilience and 
um, it, it feels like such an, such an honor to really have done this work for a long period of time and then have it be in a place where it's such a um, service to, I think, where we are with humanity today. So I think for many organizations, what we're seeing is um, this evolution of how we're thinking about employee wellness, well-being, mental health, and many organizations are moving from, you know, we just need to do things that don't adversely impact our employees, right? We, we don't wanna um, you know, have people working long hours. We're gonna try to refrain from sending emails after hours. We wanna give people time to rest and restore versus you know, sort of along that continuum and that evolution, I think we're really seeing wellness and well-being for many organizations as a strategic imperative to how we think about uh, retention, engagement, you know, being a talent magnet in the marketplace. And so this work on resilience really drives mental health and well-being and gives people the tools, the five practices to be able to do that for themselves, for their teams, and then to cascade this more broadly across the organization. So I know I just only shared one, one practice with you, which was, which was vulnerability. You'll have to read the book, get the, get the rest. Um, which, by the way, I am delighted to sign your book if you would like me to do that. Um, uh, as an author, I don't think anyone else had published in here. As an author, your greatest hope and dream is that someone who's not related to you by blood or marriage will want you to sign their book and they might read it. So just know that if I sign your book, you're like fulfilling my greatest dream as an author. Um, you know, but I'll tell you, you know, just to give an example, because we're all about, I think, practical implementation here. And so, um, gosh, I'm even embarrassed saying this out loud. Um, so, so I'm working with an organization currently where they um, were using the seven habits of highly effective people. That was really their framework for the book they gave out to new employees. They had a lot of their uh, programming and their university built out around this. And so their um, chief HR officer and I connected. We did a pilot with this, the five practices of highly resilient people inside of their organization with a workshop and some training for senior leaders and um, a keynote across, you know, to sort of cascade and introduce these ideas. Um, and so what they're doing now is they're actually transitioning from the seven practices of highly resilient people, or seven practices of highly effective people to the five practices of highly resilient people. And they're making this, this is what they're rallying around inside of their organization to develop uh, resilience. So it's, I mean, That's it's, exciting. yeah, I, well, that was a huge my, honor. My wrap up question too is like, you know, I mean, maybe that's the answer or probably have a lot more examples. But what's inspiring you right now about the work you're doing? What gets you up in the morning, spring in your step as you want to cure the world, you know, one resilience in case at a time? Mm, yeah. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm so curious to talk to so many of you um, today and, and at the breaks and to learn how you're thinking about this work and what's happening inside of your organizations. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of people, you know, who are really struggling we're still really struggling. You know, I think there was this viewpoint that we were gonna kind of get through a hard time and then the path was gonna be made clear and we were gonna go back to normal and everything. And it, and it just hasn't, you know? And I think more than ever before in, in my lifetime and many of our lifetimes, 
we ourselves in this room are carrying such a heavy cognitive load of caring for ourselves, caring for our families, caring for our organizations, shouldering all of that. And, you know, then on top of that, you know, what's happening in the media, the, the war with Ukraine and Russia, you know, climate change, um, you know, and, and just um, a pervasive sense of um, continued challenge. And so there's so, you know, there's exhaustion, there's, there's burnout. And so getting to show up in this time, right, and to be of service around how do we leverage these five practices, really unpack what resilience is and what it isn't, and then practically be able to implement these practices to support people in amplifying their resilience, um, in guarding against uh, burnout, stress, and exhaustion, and being able to amplify you know, well-being, uh, wellness, and mental health inside of organizations is um, just a really wonderful honor. Yeah, I know it sounds very inspirational. And it's you bring up a good point that it, it falls on the shoulders of a lot of you to make sure the companies are fostering that psychologically people feel safe and you know protecting their well-being. But we were speaking about this before. Um, there's a metaphor I'd like to bring up when you go on an airplane, they talk about the oxygen mask. It's kind of intuitive, but please put your mask on first before you put the mask on others. And because you want to help them, but you're no good to them if you pass out there in the middle of the airplane. Um, to all of you as well, you got to take care of yourselves to be able to take care of yourself. But, um, it's a huge contribution you made to speak out about resilience, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I want to um, round of applause for Sarah. Thank you. Any parting words of advice to you know for this? Uh, which is not a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. Resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'll just add one more thing um, before we bring Steve up on stage. Steve, where are you? Ah, Steve, beautiful. Okay. Um, so we're going to bring Steve up next, which we're so excited about. And so one thing I'll just uh, add based on your airplane metaphor is um, I was also thinking as I was writing the book, what's a, what's a new way that we can talk about how to take care of ourselves? And one of the things that I talk about, there's a chapter about women, um, not that women need resilience and, and men don't, um, but we have a lot of women leadership development programs because we know that a woman's journey uh, across her career looks and feels very different than it does for men. And so there's some unique opportunities there as we think about um, amplifying resilience for women in leadership. And so, I was thinking about what's maybe another metaphor that we can use there. And I learned um, that each of us have a heart, obviously, and that heart is pumping blood through our body. And so when the heart, you know, cleans and oxygenates the blood, what organ does the heart first pump that clean, oxygenated blood to? The heart first pumps that cleaned, oxygenated blood to itself. Because in the wisdom of the body, we cannot survive without the heart, even for a moment. You know, we can go a while without the brain working. Um, Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another really powerful way where we can think about just how meaningful it is. Um, we're given a choice between being um, 
self-ish and selfless. And so a new term that I introduced is the idea of being self-full. The ability to put ourselves first and to get what we need to fill up our cups so that we're then able to be in a position to give and, and to be at a place of our highest potential. And so you can also think about how the heart first pumps that cleaned, oxygenated blood to itself and the importance of sustaining ourselves with the lifeblood that we need. Well, thank you. Fantastic. It's good. Thank good you. Thank you. For all of you listening in to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience, I want to share with you an online course that we have on our website. We're going to go ahead and drop the website in our show notes, or you can go to www.resilience-leadership.com and check out our offerings. We've got an incredible course for you called Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people. So if you love what you're learning about in this podcast, if you love these conversations on resilience, if you love hearing about how you can more effectively face the inevitable moments of challenge, change, and complexity, or the three C's as I call them in your life, then go ahead and check out our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people, because what you are going to find is a one-on-one tutorial with me around each of those five practices, as well as an introduction and a conclusion. We've got hours of content that is going to allow you to engage in direct coaching and learning with me on the five practices. Go ahead and check it out, and I hope you'll join us in our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people.